Hello everyone, Bo with Donoram here, and right now you're probably seeing a lot in the news about nurses and what nurses go through and what a nurse does. Obviously, we're going through a time when nurses are very much needed, and if you're interested in learning more about nursing, achieving a higher education there, insight into what a life is like as a nurse, then we strongly suggest you check out Ashley Luann Kay on YouTube. You can find a link to her channel at rallynetwork.net or by searching Ashley Luann Kay on YouTube. Uh, we're doing something a little different, if you haven't already noticed. Uh, I am recording from home alone. We're going to be doing more of these monologues that you saw a few of, uh, from me earlier. And, uh, I, this of course is due to the, uh, Indiana's shelter at home order for COVID-19. Our governor has, uh, wisely told everyone that if you don't need to go out, you need to stay home. Uh, this is to flatten the curve and to ease the, uh, pressure that is being put on uh healthcare workers and uh essential workers like such as uh you know people working in grocery stores first responders uh these people that still need to work to keep society going uh utility folk um this is these people need to stay working to keep society running but we can help them by not going out as much that way this thing ends a lot sooner I'm pretty sure every state in America is doing this right now. I'm pretty sure a lot of other countries in the world are still doing this. So please, if your area is under a shelter-at-home order, uh, please comply with that. It will make everyone's lives a lot easier. Um, my wife's life included. Uh, so my my life in, uh, included. Uh, I'm not really sure if I said uh, wife's life or life's wife, but you guys get what I mean. Anyway, uh, something that's been on my mind through this as we go through this is uh, something that a lot of us non-essentials who are just sitting without work, I'm actually without work, um, the place where I work has closed its doors until at least May the 4th, which is a Monday, and that's three weeks from when I'm recording now. So I've got three more weeks in addition to the three weeks I've already had, at the very least, that's if this thing goes away. But something I've been thinking about is us that have just been sitting at home. I, of course, I've been supporting my wife, who's, of course, still working, cleaning the house, taking care of the kids. But there's a whole chunk of my day where I would have been working that I'm not anymore. And uh, I've had an inordinate amount of time to consume art that I love, to consume new art that I'm going to love. Uh, I'm actually looking at a stack of books right now. Um, two by C.S. Lewis, two by J.R.R. Tolkien, technically four by Tolkien, because one of them is the single volume edition of Lord of the Rings. And, uh, there's, uh, thankfully, uh, locally where I'm at, there's a, uh, th there's, you know, um, you know, there's, there's still a lot of art circulating and everything. But anyway, I've, I read through, the, uh, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings every year, and I'm going to get through them in a lot faster, because I have, again time of my day when I've got nothing to do but read. And as I was sitting there uh, reading through one of the C.S. Lewis books, I've been thinking, man, this has really changed my perspective on a lot of stuff. I'm glad I read this book. And then I got to thinking, one of the things we're going to talk about after we're done with this, after the world's recovered, um, and you know, a lot of people are of the opinion that we'll never go back to normal as we knew it. And th there's that. But once we're over the grief and once we're over the fallout of this this literal crisis, you know, this literal global crisis, this uh, pandemic, a lot of us are going to look back and remember what we did in quarantine. And I think one of the things we're going to discuss is the art we chose to consume in quarantine and how it changed us. And uh, Friday, just two days ago from the time of this recording, uh, a new game was released on the uh, Sony PlayStation 4. 
the Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I know everyone right now that's listening is like, oh man, is he just going to do these and only these? Is this going to be a Final Fantasy VII monologue series? And is that what it's going to be? And folks, let me be straight with you. It is, for now. <laughs> like it, That's absolutely what it's going to be for now. That's what we're going to do for now because this is... For those of us that love Final Fantasy VII, one of my favorite games of all time, I almost play it annually. Um, sometimes my uh, Tolkien read-through gets in the way of that. but um, And I'm always going to choose Tolkien, I'll admit that. But uh, I play this game almost annually. I love it. I have it memorized. I know where every piece of materia is. I know where every item is. I know where every chest containing a potion is in that game. I love it. I absolutely adore it. But... Uh, so I was super excited for this game to come out because uh, Tetsuya Nomura, the man who did the character design in the original game and directed every single Kingdom Hearts game, directed the movie Advent Children. He was put in charge of it. And I couldn't have been more excited. I really couldn't have. I could not wait to see what he changed because he said he would change. When I heard that the game would take place in only Midgar, and now I'm hearing reports. I'm not done with it yet. I'm nowhere near, but I'm hearing reports of people that are 30 hours in and still not done. Midgar's big now, guys. Even I, just the little bit I've explored of it, it's huge. And so I'm giving you kind of an overview right now, but as I go through this game and as I do these monologues, I want to touch base with you guys on my first impressions of what I'm seeing in this game. Uh, I am extremely passionate about this game. It was thanks to Donnerum that I'm even playing it. I want to be clear there. It is thanks to Donnerum that I'm even playing this game. So I owe them some content for this. And them being us, I guess, because I am a part of Donrom, even though I'm away from it. It's, guys, I'm sitting in my son's room because he's up front playing right now. And this is the only private spot in the house. And it's just, ugh, I miss recording with the boys. It's just not responsible right now. You're welcome, by the way. <laughs> so let's, let's, get down to, uh, let's get down to it. it. Playing the Final Fantasy VII Remake has been a treat in several ways. But I think the biggest treat for me right now, at the point I'm at in the game is just how much more we're seeing these characters. These characters don't feel different than how they were represented in the original game. We're just exploring them more. It's kind of like in the original game, you uh, you know, in the original game, they were people that you, uh, they, they, were, they were just the people that you uh, worked with, but they worked in another department and you only saw them on break. And that's the only time in your life you saw them. But now it's like they're the people you work with, but you also go to the same church. You also are on a bowling team or a softball team. Like you, you know, you're getting to know these guys. And as far as the uh, major differences that we have here, as far as um, the fact that Nomura has added so much more, there are still a few fans that are upset about this. They're like, no, it's not the way it happened in the original. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair, but I, from everything I'm seeing, this game is going to shape up to be a single-held story with the possibility of sequels. It, it, it's like the people that went and saw Lord of the Rings when uh, Fellowship of the Ring first came out in 2001, and people were like, "Uh, dude, they like didn't solve anything. Yes, they did. You're just not... Uh, never mind. It's not even worth addressing those people. Anyway, uh, Adam actually said I put it really well in that it's like when a new Robin Hood movie comes out, no one gets mad that it doesn't isn't the exact same as the old Robin Hood movie. It's like Cloud Strife is a legend, and we're seeing new interpretations of his legends every time one of these games comes out. Or every time, uh, I mean, this is the first time they've had a remake, but every time we see Cloud, we're getting a new interpretation of his legend. 
And I love that. I absolutely love that idea. Um, not just because I said it. It's just because when I, I kind of said it because I was I, I've been defending this game from the people that you know have been so mad about it without even playing it that I get a little defensive when I'm talking to nobody. <laughs> kind of like those uh, kind of like those guys in trucks, um, that do their big uh, that do their big uh, why I hate uh government speeches or something like that. They're they're yelling and they're talking to no one. That's kind of how this game's making me. Um, and I love it. Anyway, I want to discuss how much better we're getting to know these people, the people that I've met so far. We'll come back to the subject as I meet new people. And I think on the next monologue, uh, I think what I want to touch on is the actual battle mechanics of the game. Because it's, again, I have said several times, if you're a longtime fan of the show, you've heard this. If a game isn't fun, it's not worth exploring anything else about it. The first metric we should measure a video game on is, is this fun to play? There is just as much artistic expression in gameplay as there is in story. Period. That is that is that is the actual thing that separates a video game from all other forms of art. Uh, you're gonna have to excuse me here. I keep getting winded because I'm actually pacing. I have the freedom to pace while I'm talking now because I'm not going to appear on camera. <laughs> so uh, bear with me here. And I'm just I'm just talking about something. I'm super pat. I'm very excited to talk to you guys about this. So uh, we'll start with cloud. We're learning more about Cloud, and Cloud gets to be an actual mercenary in this game. In the original game, Cloud took on three mercenary jobs that we saw. The first bombing mission, the second bombing mission, and uh, Aerith's bodyguard. That's it. Those are the only uh, mercenary missions he took on. He was hardly a mercenary. He pretty much was the classic hero from the get-go, really. But in this game, we get to explore Cloud's mercenary side a lot better. There's a lot more dialogue in this game, and it's all voice acted, so we're seeing his personality. The... The cloud's always been this kind of too cool for school. I don't talk much. I'm not a people guy kind of guy. But we didn't really get a lot of that in Final Fantasy VII, uh, the original, because frankly, it just didn't have a very good English localization. It really didn't. It's notoriously bad. Of course, everyone, you know, will mention the this guy are sick, um, that line. So. We just didn't have a whole lot to go off of there, but we're seeing his personality so much fuller now, and we're seeing a very cool character, and he this is my favorite rendition of Cloud, even more so than Kingdom Hearts 1, and everyone knows I'm a sucker for that edgy hero guy. But yeah, um, Kingdom Hearts 1, Cloud still has the coolest costume, and I love that the costumes in this game are so accurate to the originals, just in an HD, really vamped up state. I really love that. But more, almost more interesting than Cloud. Not that I like him more than Cloud, but almost more interesting than Cloud is Barrett. So Barrett, even in uh, the manual for the original game in uh, 1997, Barrett was identified as the leader of an eco-terrorist group, Avalanche. But it didn't really get explored. Barrett was a good guy. Who cares? He's a good guy. Yeah, he bombed Mako, Re Mako Reactor Number 1. Yeah, he did it. I mean, it was bad. It was killing the planet. We're getting actual dynamics that we would expect from a character that is the leader of an eco-terrorist cell in this game. It's a great... And by the way, uh, Adam, when you put this up, put a spoiler alert on this for these uh, fine folks. Because um, I will be doing mild spoilers as I discuss these wonderfully made characters. And wonderfully acted characters. The voice actors are just incredible. Oh, and Barrett's character design is just awesome. The Gatling gun just looks so cool on his arm. And his costume, it's just perfect. It's all perfect. And the sunglasses are just incredible. They're just a good touch. There's a the scene 
on the train where he's given Cloud um, his little hey. Not everyone can just move out of the slums if they don't like it speech. He takes his glasses off to look him in the eye as he's doing it. It's just, man, it's good. But anyway, after the first bombing mission, uh, Avalanche clearly has some doubts about what they did. And when you meet Tifa later, Tifa's even like, I flat out don't like bombings. Like, this is wrong. Like, we're being just as bad as they are. And that's really interesting to me that Avalanche has all these doubts because they mentioned them in the first games, but you kind of have a dialogue option, I think, or something. I, 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 for a game I have memorized by heart, I can hardly remember how they managed their guilt after the first bombing mission because it just wasn't addressed that well. It's almost as if it's like, hey, man, we shouldn't have done that. And someone else is like, hey, but, you know, we should have as well. And they're like, oh, I never thought of it like that. <laughs> like, it's not really addressed. And But in this game, immediately afterwards, you're sitting in um, the Sector 8 uh, upper plate, and people are gathered around. Like, these people just saw a Mako reactor blow up. They just saw a power plant blow up. Holy crap! And, uh, you know, they're sitting there. There's a lot of damage even in Sector Sector 8. And these people are like, oh my gosh, my son lives down that road and it's blocked off. Or people are like, oh gosh, my kids, was up my sister's? Is my sister okay? Is my kids okay? It looks like the aftermath of a bombing. Not just little sprites running away from nothing. And so the whole Avalanche crew is like, man. And of course, it's a little thing that was added is Shin, uh, President Shinra and Heidegger, we see them as the bombing machine's going on. And they clearly pulled something to make it happen worse than it was. Worse than it would have been had the... Avalanche, avalanche bomb just went off. So there's that, but Avalanche doesn't know that. They think they messed up and made it too big. And they're like, man, this stinks. And Barrett turns around and gives them the hey. We knew this. We knew there'd be collateral damage. We got to look at the bigger picture. We're the good guys. And it's this very, uh, almost Senator Armstrong from Revengeance, like a, you know, world's biggest omelet kind of thing. It's very disturbing to hear him say it. Because it's literally like, hey, I know innocent people died. But this is for the cause, man. And it's really, it's, it makes so much more sense for the character to be like this. And of course, after this big speech, you know, we get to see Barrett being lovable Barrett again. We see him, uh, you know, about 30 minutes, 45 minutes later in the game, finally get to the Seventh Heaven Bar and play with Marlene. And he's just very nurturing and caring. He's an actual character with actual dynamics where we can't just be like, oh, this is the good guy. I mean, he is, obviously, but there's things that make us doubt his motives. And, of course, people who played the original Final Fantasy VII know that he has an ulterior motive for sticking it to the Shinra rather than he's just sad that the planet's dying. He is, but there's more to the story than that. But we don't know that that's going to happen again. That's my favorite thing about this game is rediscovering everything. I don't know that what happened before will happen again. And that's incredible. Everyone that wanted a beat-by-beat remake, Why? Why render the first game unplayable? It's a classic game. I re-downloaded it just to play it again after I'm done with this because this game is reminding me how beautiful the original game was and vice versa. It's That's the true beauty and that's why Nomura is... He's he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible at what he does. So moving on to Avalanche, uh, Wedge is still comic relief. You know, he's a big lovable guy, but I'm already seeing that there's probably going to be more there to it than that. Big seems capable... But also, he's kind of like a Shikamaru from uh, Naruto. He's capable, but eh, why bother, you know? And uh, Jessie is absolutely playfully flirty. Um, We find out that she was an actress. And on opening night of a big play, her dad got sick in a Mako reactor. 
And that's why she hates the Shinra. And so we're discovering that, oh, you know, of course, I haven't heard Biggs and uh, Wedge's story, and I haven't heard Tifa's story for why she's an avalanche. But we're getting a whole lot of, yeah, it's about the planet, but also, like, we're really sticking at the Shinra here. That's really cool that each character in Avalanche is really awesome, and that's why I am sick to my stomach worrying that Avalanche is going to suffer the same fate (laughs) that they did in the first game. I really don't want that to happen. But uh, moving along, we have several new characters. Uh, There's a, I believe I'm pronouncing this right, Roche. He's a uh, motorcycle guy that is just pure Nomura. Like it's like he plucked this guy straight out of Organization 13 in Kingdom Hearts and just put him in this game. He has this really bad mullet haircut. He's all about his bike. He becomes obsessed with Cloud and wants to face him and test his abilities. Perfect. It's just beautiful. It is 100% pure Nomura anime nonsense, and I'm so glad that it's in this game to counteract the very dark and heavy setting going on. Um. Cloud gets an apartment. One of the first things Tifa does when he gets to Sector 7 is Tifa sets him up with his own apartment. You have your own place to stay. Shops replenish their stock. They have different things in stock when you go back to them. Um, And as you do jobs, as you take side quests to do mercenary jobs, your reputation as a mercenary gets out, and certain shops will give you discounts depending on what you did. It's really cool. Sector 7 has a factory, an old abandoned factory that serves as a mini dungeon where you go to do a lot of these things. There's a place called Scrap Boulevard, which is a big landfill, apparently. There's so many more new areas to explore, and Midgar feels alive. There's a living, breathing city going on here. It feels more real. There's already new types of material to discover. Material works a lot like it did in the old game, and that's kind of a neat little thing. Um, Cloud already has a weapon you don't get in the original. Well, it's kind of complicated, but you get it at a different time. And I... Guys, I love it. <laughs> I am loving it. I've already talked way more than I should have on a monologue about this. And as we, we go on and we meet more, more characters, or we learn more about characters we've already met, I'll revisit those in later monologues as I trudge this game. I haven't had a chance to play yesterday or today yet. I'm going to do that after I'm done doing a few monologues. And next time, I want to touch on the uh, mechanics of this game, because they're so good. They're so, so good. So, um, uh, this is uh, this is Bo. And uh, I hope you'll come back and listen. I hope, really hope you're all staying safe and doing the responsible thing. I really shouldn't even tell you guys the social distance. You're Donneron fans. You should be at home playing video games anyway. This is our time to be heroes. So, heroes, let's be, my friends.